0: Hello, what's going on? It is nice to have you back. Bonjour, comment ça va? Hola, comment está? I mean, my Spanish is super limited, so it's stopping there. My French, though, I did go to French immersion school, and my mom wanted us, when we were kids, to learn another language. She speaks, like, I don't know, seven languages or something. And she wanted us to learn another language, not only to be able to bridge ourselves internationally, but also to stretch our minds, to go outside of our myopic you know, very um, self-focused culture that we can have sometimes. You know, I found this very fascinating when we travel to other countries. We sort of are like, oh, you don't speak English. Uh, This is at least true in my experience of, you know, being a Canadian and traveling. The sort of like narrative that we travel with is like, oh, they don't speak English. (laughs) Maybe we should learn their language since we're in their home. God forbid, right? And I think that's really such a bridge to so many things, which is, learning things that are challenging for us, but also not expecting people to always meet us where we are and sitting on this pious throne of this is what I think, this is what I believe, this is where I'm at, come to me versus let's grow and expand towards each other. And every opposing belief is really about expanding your own belief in order to integrate and just understand another To understand someone's point of view, you don't have to agree with it. And that's, we're in a real polarizing time where two people can't be right at the same time. And in relationship, in conflict, it's so important that we can recognize that our partner can be right, but we might not agree with them. Because two people can experience the same thing very differently. Especially when we experience something like a conflict, we usually bring so much of our old story into that conversation. You know, and that that is just one of the important aspects of growing our emotional intelligence, growing the way we think about relationship and the space for who's home when we're in conflict. And what I mean by that is, who's in your psyche? Are you operating from your heart, or are you operating reactively? Which reactivity is generally childlike. You know, when I ask people, um, when you get really triggered, when you get really flooded, how old are you? And people will usually come up with a range of ages. You know, it might not be specifically seven. But it will generally be a range of ages, and it's usually the time that we first experienced the need not being met that we're now fighting to be met. So it's a fascinating conversation about um, just in general how we show up (laughs) to even how we travel and the expectations we have of other people versus how we handle conflict. Isn't it interesting, right? Because if you take a curious approach to life, you'll take a curious approach To conversation and a curious approach to conflict and disagreement. When we get triggered and we get curious, our life transforms. When we get triggered and we get reactive, our life stays the same and it repeats the same patterns. And so life has not stayed the same for me, thank the Lord, because I, well, first the universe or your God or whoever you want to call it, will hit you with a nice cosmic two by four to the head to wake you up. And this week, I, man, I love this guy, Traver. Traver Bohm, you're going to meet this guy. He's a character of, of beyond characters, just a tremendous uh, man. I met him at uh, my good friend's bachelor party, and he wasn't drinking, and I asked him about his experience of not drinking, and he said it was the best decision he ever made. And through our conversation, um, it inspired me to stop drinking, to explore my relationship to alcohol and the... You know, the sort of unspoken agreements that we or at least I can speak to personally that we make about alcohol, which is I need it to, you know, reduce my anxiety. I need it to, you know, when I was young, I needed it to reduce my anxiety to talk to girls when I was in, you know, when I was 16. Yes, I drank before it was legal. I'm sorry. And also that we need to connect over a beer or we need to connect over alcohol And I thought, what is being taken away by this dependency on something that is seemingly I'm not dependent on? You know, I don't binge drink. I wasn't binge drinking. I didn't feel like I had a negative relationship to alcohol. But I was like, who am I without it? If I go to a large event, can I not do it? And so it's been really fun exploring it. And it was inspired by Traver, who is just a phenomenal guy. And life hit him with a giant two-by-four I don't want to spoil it. So this guy went on the coolest journey where he started to explore if he lived his life as if he knew he was going to die. Oh, my God. Wait till you hear his stories. And he is just a freaking amazing guy. Tons of heart, tons of passion. He works with men. Just unbelievable. I really uh, can't wait for you to hear him. And before we get right to him, I would love to ask if wherever you listen to this you could leave it a five-star review and leave it a written review That's super helpful to get it into more people's ears So we can all partake in these conversations about showing up as a better human being for ourselves For other people. Yes, but especially for ourselves because when we show up well for ourselves We don't chase other people to confirm that we're good enough We don't chase other people to confirm that we're loved and that we are showing up to life well So without further ado Traver Boehm. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. I got my main man here, Traver Boehm.
1: Pleasure to be here. Thank you, Mark.
0: So happy to have you here. And for the people that don't know you, but are Mm. about to know you, about to get some knowledge dropped on them... (laughs) and some excitement and some uh-huh. trepidation and who knows mm-hmm. what emotions will go mm-hmm. through our souls as mm-hmm. we listen to your sweet melodies, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Hi. So, you know, you are the originator, the founder, the leader, the kingpin, the John Gotti <laughs> <laughs> of the, uh, of the yes. uncivilized movement for men. Mm-hmm. Although mm-hmm. I would argue, uh, knowing you, that there's some, there's some female work in there too
1: hmm for uh, sure obviously
0: yeah. right because if you're working with men, you're yeah, you're, you're helping everybody Yep, yep, yeah so, so tell us what is that uncivilized thing you're
1: doing? You know, it's funny you say, uh, are there women involved? Of course because I run a men's movement 70% of my following is female And yeah. the people I communicate every day who are like, hey, I have a guy that needs some help, but he won't listen Are female and oh i'm reading this to pass on to someone who won't come and listen uh, they're female. So basically, Mark, I wanted to take the, <laughs> this idea of like, I I thought we needed and I know we needed a new paradigm of masculinity. And I believed it was we had two options kind of in society that were being presented. We had the 1950s Marlboro man, who we all grew up probably being raised by or a lot of us did. Mm-hmm. It was the stoic, unemotional like your classic, the Marlboro Man, right? Like in rugged individual, needed nobody. Very sexy. Perhaps very, like strong-jawed, hat, cowboy. Uh, that was Paradigm 1. And then Paradigm 2 seemed to be this overswing of the pendulum, which was your sensitive new age guy or the nice guy, who mm-hmm. is codependent. As, am I allowed to swear?
0: Oh, yes. Every okay. single episode, I believe, has an explicit sign-up. Oh, excellent. So I'm not going for a record, but I hope I- <laughs>
1: We're going to get into it. Yeah, Um, you know, you're you're codependent, needy, uh, a man who's just afraid of his own masculinity. So on the other side, we have someone who's who hates his own femininity or his own feminine side. And on the pendulum swing, we have a guy who's just he's been beaten to death and is terrified about being a man, but yet is needy, codependent, and insidious, and equally as dangerous. Mm, so I looked at these two paradigms and I couldn't figure out where I wanted to fit in. Mm -hmm. And so I thought the way it worked in my mind was we have this primal nature as men. We have this idea of protection, provision of getting out there and fucking shit up in the world. And we need a massive dose of consciousness. So we have the primal, but we were missing a lot of the divine or the overswing of the pendulum was we had so much divine and we had guys that were beautiful. They're poets, they're yogis, they're you're spiritual seekers. But they were lost in the world as far as getting shit done or as far as building something or as far as relating to their bodies or relating to other men. This is the one guy with 15 female friends, but he can't hang out with the dudes. And yet he's not really comfortable in his own skin either way. He's very, very needy. So Mike thought was let's take both of the the best of both and put them together. Let's take the primal and the divine and combine it and give guys the let's celebrate the way we are in our nature. And yet let's definitely like, let's not, you, you, you get this. We need consciousness. We need communication. We need to understand our fucking emotions. Like, come on now, let's, let's get over this idea. <laughs> right. We don't have them. Or like, I don't do emotions. <laughs> yeah. I had a client tell me that she talked to her, uh, she was dating guys. Like, just so you know, I don't do emotions. I was like, Oh,
0: that's what she said. No, that's what he said. Oh, that's a. She went about.
1: out on a date with this guy. I was like, I don't do emotions. I was like, Oh,
0: that's not even a red flag. That's a baseball. No. no, 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 no. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> let's get the fuck <laughs> out of there. You no, know, it's so interesting because of of course someone might want to change that guy and stick it out for another twenty years and have kids mm-hmm. and then wonder why they're an emotional robot twenty years mm-hmm. later, even though they knew on the first date.
1: On date one. You're
0: yeah, and I, it. I mean, I think that's the. Yeah, I hear a lot like, well, you know, like all these women are doing all this work. Where are all the good men? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, shit, I know a ton of good men. And the irony too. Is, is that a lot of the men that I know who have done a lot of emotional work mm-hmm. have a hard time finding women they believe can meet mm-hmm. them. And I'm like, wow, both of these people don't seem to be finding each other. Apparently, mm-hmm. we need to create a dating site. To connect. Uh
1: I have been told, please create an uncivilized dating site. Just, <laughs> I, no, thank you. Yeah.
0: No. Yeah, yeah. Like that's what I want to do.
1: That's my my life mission. No, I think we <clears throat> you said it, right? We have both sides looking for something, or even worse, we have people that when they find it and get what they want, it's so actually confronting. Yes. They've been in love with the fantasy. Especially, I hear this from women who, I want a conscious man. I want him strong. I want him this. And then they meet him and go, oh, shit.
0: Dude, Uh, I am so with you on that. mm -hmm. Like, I wrote it. The first article I ever wrote that really sort of went viral um, was called, Why You're Not Ready for the Man You Say You Want. And the idea was I kept hearing people say, like, well, I want this guy who's like this. I'm like, when you get him, you won't know what the fuck to do. Mm -hmm. Because all of a sudden, he'll be steering the emotional car with you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: and no one wants it's like we want the i you know in research there's a study where they had uh, you and i i think talked about this just recently yeah a study about where women say what they want and they write it down and then there's right. a date and they don't pick exactly what they want they pick what they feel they connect with <laughs> yeah. All Right. so the whole list just went out the goddamn window right, right i'm not right. saying that's only women because men do that too
1: yeah um, and I- when you bring in a man who's Done the work and is conscious, and also has the physicality of a man mm-hmm. who has the body, has the presence has the the uh, the musculature. it adds a whole different dynamic as well because I think a lot of times women in the consciousness space or spirituality space run into conscious men who have dissociated so far from their bodies that they 're not in shape they 're not strong they 're not identifying as the athlete, man, a fighter, a protector, a, uh, a warrior, etc. So that combination, it just, poof, it kind of blows their central nervous system wide open. Uh, and then go back to like, where are all the conscious men? Where are all the conscious men? Little wing is now streaming on Paramount plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the, oh, I don't care. Crap. A little adventure. Where are you going?
0: I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia.
1: Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Join Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox.
0: Life can hurt, but life is sweet.
1: Little Way rated PG thirteen may be inappropriate for children under thirteen. Now streaming exclusively on Termount Plus. Well,
0: and I think it's fascinating too that the and it's. I, I want to acknowledge that we don't have a woman in this conversation, so mm-hmm. we're going to speak about it in the context of what we know. Mm-hmm. Um, and from at least from my experience, because women have have really stepped into their masculine their purpose mm-hmm. their drive their is mm-hmm. really beautiful amazing you know yeah and, but what that does is when they go home and they're still in their masculine mm-hmm. they attract feminine partners pushover mm-hmm. needy Doormats, which I can say I, I could have ran that club at school if I wanted to I could have been the president of the needy doormat Oh,
1: I would have been your VP <laughs> you know, Like super codependently like yeah. I would have been reliant all on complained about our
0: partners <laughs> that they don't know how to Talk like I had female partners who couldn't communicate. I was dating men. I was a woman dating that was like I mean in that feminine essence you know, I was yeah. too far on the other side, but I think what's fascinating is when you actually learn how to integrate like that masculine side that you need, the anger, not in a- aggression, but right. anger that creates boundaries, mm-hmm. boundaries that, that communicate self-worth, mm-hmm. then you are standing in an integrated masculine feminine balance where you mm-hmm. are in a presence that puts a very masculine feminine partner will either run for the hills or Good. actually surrender and go back safely into their feminine where really? they're not guarding anymore and not protecting I mean, right. Independent Beyonce, you know, I'm sure Beyonce is like everybody's favorite mascot. So maybe that's an yeah. example, but
1: you know. yeah. And they have to go through the journey of actually, it's not a light switch to go, Oh, I'm with a conscious man. Now switch the light. I can now surrender and be okay with all yeah, of this. Totally. It's learning over the increments that I can trust this guy. I can trust this guy. I can trust this guy. And for that man to take the realm or the, to, to lead in saying, Yes, you can continually trust me. You can continually trust me and not just say it, but have the integrity. So his actions, everything I tell guys, like, you know why she doesn't want to fuck you? Because you keep saying you're going to, you're going to go to the gym and you don't. She can't. And so she you. can't fucking trust you in the bedroom where it's the most sacred, open, vulnerable space on earth, because you're kind of lying about going to the gym. Mm. So start there. Like, it's not like, oh man, I don't get why she doesn't trust me in the bedroom. I'm, I'm super, no, no, no. Start going to the gym. Make sure every part of your life is integ- in, in, in integrity. When I, don't know if I ever told you the story, I was, with, uh, I was in a, a workshop with Michaela Bohm, same last name, but not related. And it was two days of, it was all dudes, Mark. And it was like day one was like masculine movement, like understanding the masculine. Day two was how do you put that in the bedroom? Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this is going to be amazing. Like halfway through, she suddenly, she's teaching all of us, she's a room full of dudes, she stops. And goes, do you guys want to know the secret? Like, enough fucking around. Do you <laughs> want to know the number one? That Here is the key to getting your woman to open fully, to give you everything you want, just full sexual expression. You guys want to know what that is? And, like, there are beads of sweat, like, pouring down my face. <laughs> like, yes! 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 <laughs> like, pen is shaking. And she <laughs> holds those, like, one pregnant pause. He says, go home and get your shit together. Go to therapy, remove, figure out your mommy issues and figure out every single place in your life outside of the bedroom that you're out of integrity mm. because the feminine can smell it on you. She can sense it and feel, okay, you lied at work today. I'm not fully opening. So yeah. get your shit together. And at the time I was like, that's the fucking, I can't believe you just said that's the most terrible answer on earth. <laughs> like, I- <laughs> <laughs> uh, sure, it's not like rub the nipple, rub the nipple finger, and uh, like yeah, what's the deal? not yeah, yeah. Oh, work. Uh, but now, a couple years later, yeah, I get it.
0: I heard it was playing, yeah, some Luther Vandross and lighting a candle. Mm-hmm. Shit, it's telling the truth and being honest with yourself yeah. and calling your ass out on your own shit. Brutal, isn't yeah. It? I mean, it's so beautiful though because if a man isn't in integrity, that's such a that's such a key. He might feel anxious. He might, I mean, I think for any human, if you're not living in integrity with your word to yourself, but yeah, especially calling a masculine person or male out Mm -hmm. on that, like, are you actually your word? You know, I remember working with this coach and she said, do you press snooze in the morning? Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, I love the snooze, button." (laughs) She was like, like, yeah. And she goes, well, I guess you love starting your day lying to yourself. And i was like i'm sorry what and she was like well, it was Erin sky kelly she's amazing and she said to me when you go to bed and you set 7:30 or whatever is your time that you're waking up if you hit snooze you broke a contract already wow. and Beautiful. she's like if you want to get up at eight get up at eight but mm-hmm. stop snoozing because you start your day lying to yourself wow. and i was like well okay goodbye yeah, I bought the domain name Stop Hitting Snooze after that. <laughs> I, but I was like, ooh, that's good shit. Yeah. I'll just put that quote on it. It'll get tons of traffic.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: <laughs> but you also wrote something that I really loved. I mean, you always write stuff I love, but you had one thing that I was like, "Whoa, that's fucking good. And mm-hmm. it was when you said, um, your woman can't feel you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, she can't feel yeah. you. And that's why she doesn't feel connected to you because you're not connected to yourself. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that more, that, that quote in the context of it?
1: Yeah. It, the way I view a lack of integrity, Mark, is a leak. And so it's as if, like, I'm 188 pounds. But every time I lie, I leak, like, a pound of energy out. Mm-hmm. Because that's just how I view it. It's like part of my attention knows that I'm not really there. Like, ah, oh, shit, I shouldn't have done that. Like, if there was a brutal accounting in my body at all times of anywhere that I'm out of integrity. I view that as literally energy leaking out of my body. I don't want to get too fluffy on it, but that's just how I felt. And I feel like when we push, like we, we dam up those little leaks. Like one of the ways I, I demonstrate this is holding up a bag of water and then I'll pop it with a tack. Like, Oh, I said, I was going to go to the gym this morning and I didn't. Boop, and I pop it, and like a little stream of water starts coming out. Mm-hmm. And then again, like, Hey, I said, I'd pay the bills or I would take the trash out. Boop. And I'm just using like shitty examples, but you get it. Those
0: are real examples, though.
1: real examples. Yeah. Or, you know, I said I would meet you at this time and I didn't.
0: I said, I'd I, call, s- you. I said I'd call
1: you. I said, I'd call you. I said, I. I'd all the things, right. That eventually I'm holding up a pretty deflated bag and that's, yes, it's energy, but that's what's flowing back and forth between myself and my partner. And so if I've leaked it all out, she can't feel me because mm-hmm. I'm literally not there. Or if my attention is in seven different places when I'm sitting in front of her. Like we've all sat across from someone and been like, where are you? Where did you just go? But even if they're looking at us, if their emotions are elsewhere, if their, their deepest thoughts are elsewhere, if they don't want to be there, if they've done something they're ashamed of and they're trying not to think about it. I view it as like a true energetic leak and the feminine is just sensing that. So she literally doesn't feel like you're there. And so when we go back to masculine feminine dynamics of the feminine surrendering into the masculine and we are holding the space of the relationship or holding the space of the room, if that is not solidity that's holding it, if that's like a piece of bamboo that flows back and forth, it's like, oh, I think this thing's going to snap, Yeah. then she can't feel you. And therefore, how can she trust what she doesn't feel? Like women are so sensory, again, I'm projecting, but I believe so sensory, sensorily acute, that they feel more than we do because we're just not as practiced or also because we don't actually create life inside of us. We have to feel a bunch of shit that, like they have to feel a bunch of shit we don't. So when they can't feel our solidness or that they they do feel that we are elsewhere,
0: Go to your happy price price line. Mm. And I see that you know in the what you were saying about the sensitivity makes a lot of sense because you know, women tend to be, and we're speaking heteronormatively here, so mm. I want to be uh, sensitive to that. Um but you could generalize this in same sex relationships or everything mm-hmm. in between with masculine or feminine. the more masculine partner, the more feminine partner.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So women tend to because, as you said, you know, they tend to be more anxiously attached and men tend to be more avoidant. There can be many reasons for both of those things. um, acute. you know, including socialization and the way testosterone interacts with the brain. There's lots of different things. Mm-hmm. Um But one of them being that women really needed relationship, need relationship still in some sense um, had an evolutionary need for marriage. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so, that's why they're more likely to forget their deal breakers. Like, oh, I don't want to date a guy who smokes. Oh, I have this guy who smokes some. Well, I guess I'll let that. But men are much more solid in their deal breakers. They tend
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And so when a man says he doesn't want that thing or he doesn't, he's telling the truth. Right. I, I don't do emotions. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I think and he's telling the truth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's what's fascinating is, and this is said to me by a woman, that women don't say what they mean. And so they don't think men say what they mean. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was very fascinating. And I'm glad she said it and a guy didn't because then I could mm-hmm. be like, oh, okay, well, that was a great observation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why we struggle to take, <clears throat> always want to like figure out what a man really means behind the truth he actually just told us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what's fascinating is from an evolutionary perspective, they would be way more attuned to behaviors because they needed to check the safety of their relationship and the security of their relationship in order to make sure that they have the protection and the things that they need for evolution.
1: Yeah, because you and I are never going to land on our backs for the last trimester of a pregnancy and not be able to possibly procure food or protect ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. under no circumstances is that going to happen to you or I. Period, wow. fucking period. So, we don't have the biological need to check and make sure that that person's going to be around for that.
0: When I, and I think one of the things that, well, one thing that you started uh, at the beginning saying that I think is very fascinating, you know, women tend to initiate divorce Mm
1: -hmm.
0: more than men.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Statistically speaking, correct. Statistically speaking. Yes. And by the time they initiate divorce, they've already, it's been about two years. Mm -hmm. That's what the research shows. And I really think that's fascinating that by the time that happens and a woman steps out the door, speaking heteronormatively, but this would be true of a same-sex relationship too, I would imagine, is all of a sudden the man is willing to do the work or Mm -hmm. the person is willing to do the work. Mm -hmm. But we didn't hear the fucking 47 other calls. The times we say, hey, I'd really love to go to therapy, I'd really Mm – like for me that is (laughs) – you know, I, being the more feminine partner in my in my relationships previously, was mm-hmm. the one who wanted to talk. Was mm-hmm. the one who wanted them to grow and learn about a communication, which mm-hmm. often made them feel like well, I don't want to say it made them feel. Their response to that mm-hmm. desire was defensiveness that they weren't good enough. That okay, which I think is often what the man experiences if we're generalizing, right? Right. right. But. You, you get mess I mean, 70% of your followers are female. Yeah. And you speak about men, right, in general.
1: For the most part, yeah.
0: And I think that's really interesting that they both want to learn about men and they want to learn about women and they want to mm-hmm. learn about both. And mm-hmm. I think that's really beautiful. And I, don't get me wrong. Shout out to all the men who are doing that work too. Amen.
1: They, God bless you guys. Definitely.
0: Yeah, they're out there. And mm-hmm. I wonder, like, of course, there's socialization, <clears> but what do you think is the thing that keeps, you know, when a woman – or a man says to their male partner, mm-hmm. hey, I really want to go to the therapy. And he's like, I don't do therapy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What do you think? Is there a way to get them to? Because <laughs> that's, of course, what you get asked, I'm sure, a lot. Yeah. My change? <clears throat> mm-hmm. And the other part is, um, what do you do after?
1: God, it's, I've, I've tried to answer this question so many times. The, the why don't they, uh, I don't know. I'm curious if it's just, it's such a different realm for most men. Like it's, a, it's like a different planet for a lot of guys. And one of the things I've asked women back is how would you feel if your guy came to you and said, I really want you to come to jujitsu class with me. You're going <laughs> right. to get choked. You're going to get armbarred. It's going to be sweaty dudes crushing your face. Like there's ringworm on the mat, but don't worry, we'll wash it off. Like you're going to be fine. Look, I've been doing this for years and you're going to be fine. And they're like, oh, that sounds absolutely horrendous. (laughs) And I go like, yeah, but to most guys, most, or a lot of guys, let's just generalize, therapy is the exact same thing. Yeah, agreed. It's such a scary realm. We have no, there's no lead up. It's like we didn't spend 10 years tussling. For for women, I said, like, you didn't tussle with your brothers. You probably didn't, or you're not used to getting punched in the arm for 10 years in your teens. You're not used to the roughhousing, like being choked is going to be confronting. like, for me, it's second nature. Just like for a lot of women, having emotional conversations is second nature. So diving deep into the emotional nature world isn't as scary and confronting to them, but it is to guys because Mm -hmm. it's like, hey, let's go to this jujitsu planet. Like, fuck that shit. (laughs) <laughs> I don't want to go there. And that's also not taking into account any conditioning or any times they've been shamed for expressing emotion or being in the emotional realm or had, you know, 30, 40 years of conditioning of like, don't fucking cry. Don't show me your emotions, shut that shit off and get to work. So I think there's that there's like a fear of this otherworldliness, and it's absolute terror. And guys won't admit that like, this is so out of my control this is so out of my comfort zone that I don't even know what it's going to be. It's like, it's so big and so scary and so foreign that they have no, they can't conceptualize it. Mm. Like, wait, we're just going to talk. And then at the end of this, everything's going to be okay. Which automatic that's,
0: that's feeling is I think the therapist is going to tell me how fucked up I am and that I can't communicate and it's my
1: fault. Then I'm going to get blamed. That it's really going to be, and I've, I've, I've been in therapy sessions where I was like, oh, wow, you guys just listed all the shit that I was doing wrong. This doesn't seem that healthy. And I'm only 22 and I can figure out that this doesn't seem that healthy. And so I I agree with you that I think it's, hmm, let's take Johnny to the room where a couple other people are going to beat up on him. Yeah. And a lot of men are obstinate, period. Like, fuck that shit. Why should I have to do that?
0: Yeah. You know, I think that's an interesting side of it too, is that why should I have to go to therapy? Why should we yeah. have to go to therapy? I remember uh, one person making a request of another saying like, let's go to therapy before they were getting married. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, if we're going to therapy before we're getting married, then should we even get married? And I'm like, right. right. And I'm like, well, yes. Like you, yeah. it's not about that. Going it's to therapy doesn't that. mean you're broken.
1: Right. You know? but and there like, may be the stigma of that for that man too totally like, what if my friends find out
0: yeah like well you only go to therapy. it's not like you know in new york everybody has a therapist right you know but in the west coast at least you know you go to therapy when like if a couple says you know formally if a couple mm-hmm. said to me hey we're going to therapy i'd be like oh shit mm-hmm. on the rocks mm-hmm. you know everybody has a great as a coach you know lebron james
1: has a coach mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: he doesn't stop i, I
1: called my the therapist best. coach like for, for a year, he was like, you're the only one who calls me coach. I was like, well, you're helping. I don't know how to get divorced without shooting myself in the head. And you're giving me the skills to do that. So I kind of look at you like a coach.
0: So when you were going through your divorce prior to that, did you have the language skills and the communication skills that you've now developed?
1: Not at all. No. I went so- to therapy with her and I remember you know, my therapeutic, I remember the first time my ex-wife and I went to therapy and the therapist looked at me and says, you have PTSD from professional fighting. So what I want you to do is every morning, I want you to look in the mirror and hug yourself and tell yourself that you love yourself. And I walked outside and I was like, if we go back to this fucking fruitcake again, this is done. Like this is complete nonsense. This guy like, fuck him. I don't have PTSD from fighting. It was voluntary. And I had no framework, Mark. Like, this is you're in my world now. Yeah. We know what frame means. We know what holding space means. We know what consciousness means. We know what, give it, we know all the language around it. But I didn't know what any of that stuff was. And yeah. it wasn't even in, th- in therapy, it wasn't even helping me understand that. It was more of making me see things from 50 different angles and, and just opening my eyes to the possibilities of why this could be happening, what I could do with it. And what the, a new way to frame it, as opposed to just saying, this is all lost and it will be lost forever.
0: And I mean, before you went through all of that, Mm -hmm. you were, would you have been like the men we're talking about, you know, sort of emotionally disconnected
1: and. Definitely. Yeah. I had the emotion. I was a very, you know, I went through acupuncture school. I had four years of Chinese medicine school. I I worked with people at crystals, like could speak female, but I didn't have the ability to tap into it. And you say like, I, I knew anger. Cause that was all the, that was all I grew up with in my house. We had one emotion, anger. So like, yeah, sure. I get mad. I punch walls. I punch holes in walls Wow, to do that and be like, that's how I show emotion. I could not say I'm scared. I'm hurt. That really hurt my feelings. Those words never came out of my mouth ever. Whole oh, wall. That means just like whole wall. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or I'm leaving. I'm out. I'm fuck. Shut the fuck up. I'm leaving, and I'm wow. going outside for ten minutes. And not even ten minutes. I go outside for a day. Actually, you know what? You to uh, that? How long did it take me to change it? Yeah, it took my divorce. It took a year of therapy. And
0: then walk us through what happened
1: what happened that day or what happened?
0: Yeah. Like from the initiation of her leaving. Cause I know you then did the, I want to get into your sure,
1: year. Sure. Sure.
0: Sure. So yeah. Walk us through how we get to the, to the year.
1: So it happened very quickly and you, this is something I didn't know at the time, but uh, my ex and I, unfortunately, or fortunately, however we want to look at it, but at the time, unfortunately, had gotten pregnant on purpose. And then a couple months later lost the pregnancy. And that moment I shut down completely and I started drinking a ton. I started smoking a ton of dope. Like I was looking at a ton of porn. Like I didn't have the ability to say that really fucked me up. Mm -hmm. I remember having the conversation with my ex-wife where she's like, are you okay over this? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. You? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine too. You want to go get sushi? I was like, okay. And that was the entire miscarriage conversation. Wow. A Couple months later, I go to bed with her. We laugh. We go through the holidays, wake up and play with the dog. Like we're joking in bed. She falls asleep on my chest. I go make breakfast. I'm like, what are you going to do today? Goes, oh, I'm leaving you. I'm moving to Los Angeles. I was like, no, no, no. Come on. What are you going to do today? She's like, no, I'll, I'll be gone in an hour. And she packed a bag and drove away and boom. I went, this adventure of my life began. That's how she left? That's how she left. Wow. That's Spiritually, a... we've come as far as we can go. The universe thinks I need to leave. I was like, oh. I mean, okay, I really okay. like
0: that and I'm sure she's lovely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not really taking responsibility. That's bypassing the yeah, actual was... conversation of saying, I am leaving.
1: Yeah. my entire divorce was a lesson uh, in bypass Yeah. yeah it was all the universe um so what did i do i actually called a therapist before she even left the house and i was like hey i'm about to go through some fucking hell and i don't know how to handle it i need some help boom she leaves within about 24 hours my business partnership has also now i'm getting divorced from from that man as well and sorry, the other person was, was my wife, but from, uh, my business partnership just eroded too. Wow. he was like, you know what? Like, while this is all like your life's kind of falling apart, I should probably be honest. I think it's better if we go our separate ways too. Wow. It was like a great weekend in my life, Mark. So a lot of transition very
0: quickly. So you're, which you're divorced and then your business partner divorces you.
1: Yeah. And if you want to know something really freaky, both of them were kind of on the fence for about six months my ex was like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm waiting for a sign. And then my business partner was like, Oh, you like, let's, maybe we can work it out. Maybe you should just like stay as a silent partner or something. Mm-hmm. And then within 45 minutes of each other, about eight months later, they were both, I had a uh, email from my ex-wife saying, Hey, I'm not working this out. We're getting divorced. And 45 minutes later, my business partner came to my house was like just got to tell you like i don't want to work this out either like it's done let's just sign some paperwork it's
0: crazy like isn't that crazy i mean if we're gonna bring the universe back into it yeah <laughs> you know it's That's like fucking
1: wild how
0: uh, you know i would be fascinated to know uh if you were tuned into the shifts prior to those choices by them mm-hmm. was there ever a moment where you didn't want to be in business or in relationship with either of them but you didn't honor it Or you had a kick from, or like a little, you know, a little intuitive, like, Ooh, maybe I shouldn't be in this or something's off.
1: I had a kick about eight months before that my wife would leave. My ex-wife would leave because she had, she kept trying to start a business and kept trying and kept trying and kept trying. And then I was like lying in bed one night and went, Oh, she needs to leave me for to start this business. She can't do it because under not the shadow of my life, but with an identity of I am his wife. So in the town that we lived, I owned a big gym. I was building my reputation as a coach was writing for magazines, had some press around me. And I think living under that shadow, she mm-hmm. wanted to launch her own thing. And I just remember lying there and being like, fuck yeah, she needs to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and him or the, the business I didn't, I was so shut down at that point I just knew I I kept wanting to do all this. I kept wanting to write. I want to do workshops. I wanted to do all this stuff. And every time I brought up an idea, it was like, nah, we run a gym. Remember that. We just run a gym. So just do that. And I didn't have the wherewithal to say, yeah, but I want to do all this other stuff. And maybe there's a different way to construct this or configure it. I even had a a therapist or a coach actually about eight months before say, uh, because I told, I called him like, yeah, I'm smoking pot every day. And this is really weird for me. And it's not what I'm about. And he goes, well, you're a writer and you need to be writing. And I was like, well, I'm not writing because of the gym. He's was like, well, you need to reconfigure that relationship with your partner. I like, guess it's a no-brainer to me. And I went, uh, I'm not really comfortable bringing that up. I don't want to create any discord. I'll just keep getting really high. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, I'll just numb it. I'll just, no. I'll just like, continue <laughs> to push it down because yeah. what could go wrong then?
0: Yeah. Yeah. As wonder where the word depress comes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from right so you your wife leaves your business partner they both say they don't want to work it out and
1: then Mm -hmm. what happens i make the decision uh i can go into the full story of it but um, so i do a a talk on pain at my gym like how do you use pain how can you use it to thrive because in the midst of all of that, I've, gotten, I've stopped drinking, stopped smoking pot, stopped looking at porn, go into therapy. I'm in a men's group. I'm taking workshops like, oh my God, my life's actually, like I'm growing in all these ways despite being in so much pain. So I do a talk at the gym for just the gym community. And a woman comes up to me afterwards who's a member, a gym member who I don't know that well. She goes, I run TEDx Santa Barbara. I think you need to do that talk here at TED." And I was like, hey, great, awesome. Like I'm still throwing up in the mornings and like a complete mess. I'm living on my couch uh, in a new, new house. Like I'm sorry, I can't do that. Fast forward a couple months and she reaches out and says, hey, I have TEDxLA on the phone. They want you to come down and do a talk. But here's what they want. They want a six-week social experiment. So you have to take people, 16 people, run them through this idea you have about pain. And At the end of it, present your empirical data on what how they changed with pain. Like, one girl who was already on was gonna like keep all her trash for six weeks and present that. And I was like, Um, nope, I can't be responsible for 16 people, I'm barely responsible for myself self still at this point. Like, I'm going up and down, Mark, at this point. <laughs> yeah, and I'm dealing with two sets of attorneys, I'm either manic. We're like, maybe I should just kill myself. It was like, don't get off the couch or go run a half marathon every day. And I hung up the phone. And then I thought back to about a week before where I had been at the Against the Stream Meditation Center in uh, Los Angeles. And I'd come out of the bathroom and on the wall, they had this paper and it said the year to live program. And I went, wow, that's really fascinating. And I looked it up. And it was based off this book from uh, Stefan Levine, and it was The Year to Live. And it was this 12-month program for people who had a terminal illness or were preparing to leave their bodies. So it was a meditative process of how do you prepare yourself the year before that. Uh-huh. And then it kind of like grinded in my head. I was like, wow. I called them. I was like, hey, I'd love to do your program. I'm like, well, you have to stay in LA for a year. And I was like, eh, I don't know which way my life's going. I'm not committing to any geography. Yeah. So like in that moment, I hung up the phone. And I went, oh, fuck. I know what I'm going to do next year. Because I, I have nothing to do now, right? Like I'm, about to, I'm not married. I'm not raising a kid and I don't have a business. Yeah. Call her back and say, here's what I'm going to do. Tell them I'll be back in 12 months. I'm going to do a 12-month social experiment on myself. And I'm going to live the entire year as if it were my last year on earth. And I'm not just going to do it meditatively. I'm going to do it outwardly. I'm going to make it public and I'm just going to go all fucking in for 12 months. And that's my plan. So what happened? So I, so I sat down in front of a whiteboard and I meditated for about two and a half hours the next day. I was like, God, what would I do? What do I want to do? And I didn't want this to just be like a bucket list. Like I want to see the Eiffel tower. I want to have a threesome. It was like, what do I want to do to get to that? Like if if I was going to take that last breath, my last breath on that last day, what would I have to do to take it full? To be like, I lived. Fuck yeah, I lived. I can go. I can go. And because I was hoping and pontificating, like I'm going to live afterwards. Why don't I set the year up two ways? what do I need to do to heal my entire life? Because I've done no work. And what do I need to do so that the next 40 years, this was right before my 40th birthday, are completely different than the first 40, which were shut down, which were numb, which were emotionally dead, which were incongruent, which were out of integrity. So what do I need to do? And so I sat there and the very first thing, boom, it was like, you're going to volunteer on hospice. I was like, Oh, fuck. I'm a CrossFit coach and an acupuncturist. Like, I don't know what the fuck. Like, what am I going to do in hospice? Like, I wrote it down. I was like, where am I going to do it? It was like, boom, New Mexico. Like, I've never been to New Mexico. Like, what the hell is going on here? Uh, This is amazing. Wrote it down. Men's workshops. I'm going to apologize to my ex girlfriend who I had five years before been like, we're never going to speak again. And it's your fault, even though I had been a raging asshole for a number of years. I was going to ask another girlfriend that i lived with what was the hardest part about dating me like let's sit down and have a heart to heart uh i was gonna i ran into someone who suggested the dark retreat which we can talk about at any yeah, point i'm
0: in the dark retreat
1: yeah i'm gonna spend a month in complete darkness by myself <laughs> as a meditative exercise shit is straight insanity so yeah. tell us about that sure so I found this place in Guatemala called Mahadevi Ashram, which is on Lake Atitlan. And they have a small structure that's completely concrete. It's like a dome. It looks like, you know, when you drip sand as a kid on in the beach. And it is uh, probably the double width of my arms. And you go in, there's a toilet. There's a very uncomfortable sleeping loft up ahead. Uh, there's a huge jug of water. There's a sink, a shower, And the walls are about a foot thick. And other than that, there's nothing else in the room. I had a yoga mat and then like a little meditation cushion for furniture. And the room is literally pitch black, dark the entire time. And no, your eyes don't ever adjust.
0: For 30 days.
1: For 28 days.
0: That's straight crazy.
1: I lost my fucking mind so many times, Mark. Like full on crazy, crazy. Like I thought I was dead for a couple days. Really? Yeah. I couldn't tell. I'd like touch my face and be like, well, maybe I'm just dead. And do you have any
0: idea of time? Like
1: I had an idea of time from the meal schedule. So there was, this is important. There's like a, a a double mailbox, like one side could open and then a little Tupperware of food, which was vegan. So that was another form of hell would be slid in and then closed and then they'd ring a bell and then I'd open my side to keep the integrity of the light out and then like try to shovel in whatever soup and vegetables they had for me for uh, so I knew the food was at like uh, nine, one and
0: five. So you knew that could you keep track of three a day at that point? Or were you starting to like lose your cognitive ability or
1: for most of it, I could keep track because uh, this may sound odd, but if you've done a lot of working out, it makes sense. The numbers were really important because I was doing a lot of math to try to calm my own anxiety Mm. So I'd be like, oh, okay. It's, um, it's 84 meals. So when I get to, when I get to 20 or when I get to 42, I've gone halfway, which means when I get to 21, I'm a quarter of the way, which means when I get to seven, I only have to do that two more times and then three more times. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like in a hard workout, it's like I've, I'm two laps in and I only have to do that five more times. Yeah. So I kept track of numbers a ton and would tell them to myself like, okay, 17 meals down, 17 meals down. That means we only have 67 to go. 67 is nine divided by, by six. Okay. So you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was like this constant stream of trying to keep, and then at some point I lost track, um, which was disconcerting. Now if you want a fun story, the woman who was guiding me before I went in said, just so you know, time will play tricks on you. Then sometimes an hour will feel like a full day and sometimes a full day will go in an hour. And so lunch comes and I eat it and then I do my routine. This is maybe like, uh, it's before the halfway mark, I think. Um, so I'm still kind of relatively cognitively there. And I eat lunch and then I go through, I do some pushups, I do some squats, I meditate for a bit and then go into a meditative process. Or I think I'm meditating for two or three hours and then come out of it. And kind of come back into my body. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like dinner should be here at any point. And then dinner doesn't come. And it doesn't come and it doesn't come. And I'm like, oh fuck, did what's going on? What, what's what I, I have no idea that, like I can't turn a light on. So I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe time's going really weird right now. And I just don't know it. Maybe dinner's still gonna come in a little while. And i like meditate some more, do some more push-ups, like kind of occupy my time. I'm like, man it's been a long time. I must truly be tripping out and there's nothing I can do about it. So I'm like, okay, I guess I'll just try to go to bed. And I go up to bed and like the whole time, like grinding on this mark, like what happened? Am I in this time vortex? Like asking all these philosophical questions. And then I pass out and I think I sleep for a little bit. It's hard to tell. And then the bell rings and like, Oh, dinner. Like what's, wait a minute, what's going on? And so I, I climb down the little ladder to the loft, go get the food, and it's dinner. I was like, oh, man, I just must have been in a huge time vortex. And so I eat dinner, and I'm like, but I'm really tired. And I go back up to bed, and I just lay there with my eyes open. And maybe an hour later, the bell rings again. And I'm like, wait a minute, dinner to breakfast is like 16, 17 hours. You know, it's, it's, a, it's from 5 p.m. until 9 a.m. That just, what just happened? And I go downstairs again. I look at her and not look, but I'm like, Oh, it's breakfast, man. Like I'm so jacked up with time. And so after the whole process, I get out and I talk to the the people who are bringing food. And I was like, did you guys fucking forget to feed me one night? The girl's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. They had forgotten. They forgot. So what she said is she woke up at five o'clock in the morning which is the time to start preparing the meals for the day and sees my dinner sitting on the counter still. And she goes and wakes up one of the other girls and and was like, what do we do? What do we do? And the other girl's like, fuck him. He has no idea what time is just like put one in. And then an hour later, put the other one in and he'll never know the difference. So I was like, you guys fucked with my head.
0: Meanwhile, so on the other bad. side, you're like, what the hell's happening here? Am I is time a thing? Is it a cause? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I- I'm asking Connor Beaton questions, like, am yeah. I time? Like Am I time? <laughs> <laughs> this huge I just experienced a vortex. No, people fucking forgot to feed me. <laughs> <laughs> Man,
0: I couldn't imagine a month in complete darkness with a long time mark. Coming out of your divorce. Yeah. You know, like you have this whole year of which I love that you committed it to healing, you know, you. and both like expansion, wow. challenging yourself, yeah. bucket list kind of things. Yeah. Um, but like not normal bucket list. shit. Let's yeah. be honest. Um, but what was the greatest impact that that 28 days had on you? Like, what was the thing that you got from that that was like the most or maybe two or three things?
1: it's a great question. The, the, the big things that stood out were I was bored out of my mind for the first eight days. And I was like, this is a waste of fucking time. What am I doing here? And then on the, the night before the eighth day, I dreamt that I was walking down a beach holding hands with my ex-wife and the child that we lost. Mm. And I woke up from that a mess, just a mess. And at the same time, I had been told that it'd be super quiet, that my little hut was far away on the eighth day. So I wake up from that and I'm like, oh boy, okay, so there's some emotional stuff about to rip me open. There's there's a construction crew building a hut like 20 feet from where I am and they're grinding bamboo, which is like this, you know, the Jim Carrey, like, you want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? And ah! like that yeah, that right. is for about six hours and I can't stop it. And I'm getting so fucking angry. This is like chalkboard. It's, it's hell. Yeah. It's chalkboard that I actually start screaming and trying to punch out of the wall and just freak out and then burst into tears and spend probably the next six or seven days literally convulsing on the floor, just sobbing, just getting... All the pain of the divorce, the the miscarriage. I had an abusive upbringing. I had an abusive first girlfriend. I had just everything that I carried for those 39 years that I had never processed one piece of. And it it was utter hell. Imagine all of your unprocessed grief coming out in a week. In no light, no comfort, no, no way to stop it no one to talk to action, right? No soothing. Like I couldn't pop up Facebook. I couldn't be like, okay, I'll just watch TV for a little while. I'll read a magazine. So I think that clearing was one of the bigger pieces. The second piece, when I said I couldn't figure out if I was alive or dead for a couple of days before the end, and I stopped sleeping on that eighth night. So throw that in there. So you think it's boring to stay up all day with no light. Imagine doing it also all night. So literally super sleep deprived. The thing with thinking I had died was I realized, and this is how this was, this whole situation was proposed to me is you will experience death. Mm. I went, Oh wow. I'm in a hole in the ground. It's pitch black. The whole world is going on around me. This actually is what death is. Someday this is actually going to happen to me. So one I realized my insignificance in the world because no one stopped doing what they were doing. Right. I was, I was removed from society and society went on. That was beautiful to realize how small I was. Yeah. And then also to also the the flip side of that was at some point my slate's going to get wiped completely clean. So I can fuck up all over the place. When I get out of here, If I write an article and people hate it still going to be dead in 40 years. If I try to start a men's movement that pisses people off, still going to be dead in 40 years. So why not swing for the fences? Right. It kind of liberated me to be like, fuck it. We're all going to die. So why not get after it? Why not try to really, really go for something? I love that. The last piece was imagine your life. And for the, I know it's funny, Mark, I came out and I called a couple people and I, I, I said this to them. Imagine an entire month of your life with no judgment. Where no one was in there to judge me. I didn't judge my own thoughts. I let them go as crazy as they wanted to go. I let my fantasies go as dark as they wanted to go. I let everything that was running through my head just go, go for it. I don't care. Oh, you just fantasize about burning down the whole city? That's okay. No worry. No judgment whatsoever. And so I made the decision when I got out to live as close to that paradigm as possible of, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to judge myself. I don't give a fuck. I do weird shit. Like I live a really, really weird life. And I asked people, can you imagine going an hour, dressing the way you want, writing the way you want, speaking the way you want, fucking the way you want, talking the way you want publicly. And I said this to five people and all five of them cried. And they're like, I am so far from that. My whole life is so far from actually being authentic. And it's, it's this conglomeration of what can I do, act, live, say, think, be, so that people don't judge me. So it was liberating in that effect. Well, and that's so much of who we
0: are till we hit rock bottom is we get exhausted from the construct of the person we've built to gain the love and affirmation and affection of other people.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then when we finally hit rock bottom in whatever way that means,
1: mm-hmm. that
0: can come in so many different avenues of life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Is then we are finally being invited to birth ourselves, to like truly get rid of the mask, get rid of the mm-hmm. bullshit. Like I know when I ended my engagement, the reason that moment was so profound for me is I didn't leave an abusive relationship or a relationship that was bad. She was a really wonderful woman. Mm -hmm. She is a really wonderful woman. It was that I finally made a decision that I was terrified of making because I knew Mm -hmm. everyone would judge me. Mm -hmm. And I finally made a fucking decision for me that came Mm -hmm. from my soul. Wow. And, you know, like growing up, playing sports and, you know, Being able to... Those things were... I chose everything from a perspective like... You know, it's like when I looked back, I went, man, I haven't chosen most of my life. Mm -hmm. Logically, I chose to go and do a finance degree and do... Mm -hmm. you know But if I had to actually choose from my deepest depths of what I was passionate about, Mm -hmm. I never would have chosen a finance degree. I just (laughs) chose the thing that I thought I needed to do to make money, to take care of a family because I was taught that I needed to be a good provider. Mm -hmm. I was taught not to kick up too much of a fuss, Mm
1: -hmm. not to be
0: control, not to be an aggressive male, not Mm to be, you know, I confused boundaries with being controlling Mm -hmm. because I saw what the news was teaching us about men. Mm -hmm. So I, because no one explained it to me, as a 10 year old, I had to interpret it through my 10 year old eyes, which is don't be like other men.
1: Right. Be nice. Be nice. Be nice. It's got the same messaging. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: And I think we're like part of a whole generation of men that received that, which Mm -hmm. then also um, gets expressed as anger, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: not anger, aggression. Mm -hmm. Aggression. Right. Because it's, there's no like real safe Avenue to, you keep getting walked on because you're afraid you're going to be an explosive male and then you become an explosive male, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: Because the highest offense, the way I grew up and with the way I was raised was the highest offense is upsetting the feminine. Mm-hmm. Be that your mother, be that your partner, be that your sister, be that just any woman. And so you, I would bury all of that, all of the, the, the like, but this is how I feel. But this is the truth. But I don't agree with this thing that you just said. I don't agree with how we're living. I would just bury that. And I had no choice but to come out sideways. I had no choice but to come out as p- holes punched in the wall or held down with a shit ton of alcohol, weed and denial.
0: Yeah, I look back now and I can see like, you know, I had a couple previous girlfriends cheat on me and Mm. I look back and I'm like, well, I get why they did, you know, in some sense, one, I mean, we're young and they're exploring their own, you know, like there's a lot of different um, confounding factors, but one of them is that they kept testing me to see if I would stand up for myself and I never did. Right, it doesn't mean that cheating is the right way to go about testing someone. It's not at but all. at the same time, I had no boundaries. <laughs> mm-hmm. So like, that's what happens when you get to a place where you knew long before you should have said, stop that shit. Mm-hmm. Like, no, that's not okay. It's not okay. Yeah. And, and because I didn't say that, life takes itself se- to a place of what happens to somebody when they don't stand up for themselves. Right. And of course, it would be easy for me to blame them, but I'm part of the creation. Of, of all course, this and of we course. need them. You know, just like you needed your wife to leave you and your business partner to leave you to wake
1: hundred percent work you're doing. One, I am a rat. It's like B, C, A, D. Right, like that is the pivotal moment of my life. That weekend, and everything I built from it, including the sense of joy, the sense of peace, and the self esteem, comes from that moment. So, Someone I'm t- not, it's not, I don't look back on it. Of course, I'd really rather, I really hope not to, to not do it again. And I look back <laughs> yeah. on it, I'm like, that was fucking awful. But it was also the greatest catalyst of my life. So, when I get guys that reach out, they're like, yeah, my, my wife just walked out. I'm like, fuck, that's so, I'm so sorry. And congratulations. That's,
0: you know, when people are like, revolution? So right welcome to the revolution i love that because when people say that like my partner left or this happened or i lost my job i'm like Mm -hmm. well awesome good like i'm sorry you're going through that yeah you just found the greatest source of motivation in the world which is is heartbreak anger frustration yeah it is there is nothing that will make you change faster and choose yourself faster than you don't have a self to choose anymore previously. You can't Mm -hmm. abandon yourself anymore. That happened enough.
1: Mm -hmm. That's why you're here.
0: Exactly. Mm -hmm. You got to a place where someone left you to remind you that Mm -hmm. you leave yourself every time you fucking don't speak up every Mm -hmm. time you don't stand up for yourself. And I, I think that's such a, 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 you're so deliberate with your work since that weekend,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, and that, and you know, I having spent, a bit of time with you now, you know, a couple weekends now we've hung out, I know how deliberate you are with everything. You're very mm-hmm. present. You know, you inspired me, as I told you on the weekend, um, for everyone listening, we just got back from a good friend's wedding and, um, that group bachelor party was what about four months ago. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. It was
1: uh, the second weekend of January.
0: Yeah. Oh, sorry. A couple months ago, three months ago. And um, Traver was telling me that he hadn't drank in four years and I'd been mm-hmm. feeling an intuitive pull to not drink anymore. Mm. So he inspired me. And um, I, for the first time in my life, I went to a wedding and didn't have drinks. Like it was Amazing. actually, yeah, it was like, um, but it was a different part of me this time. Like where before I felt a lot of social constructs of, and for anyone listening, the reason I wanted to do that um, is because I felt like I'm still living by the social agreement that we need to drink in order to connect. Yeah. Um, which I don't drink very much, but I used to, you know, yeah. and I used to use it to numb.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but I still haven't disconnected from that agreement. Mm. So this was such a cool experience and you inspired it. Thank you. And yeah. Good for
1: you. Thank As you. Said, it's a big move, man. It's a really big move, especially when you don't have to. You know, if you're chugging a pint of vodka before 8 a.m. in the morning, like you got to fucking stop drinking. Yeah. But when you say, wow, I think there's something on the other side of this decision. I want to see what life's like without those social contracts. I want to see what life's like as the guy who's broken them and how people react to me. Like I knew I was going to go into dating with someone who was like, no, I don't drink. And I remember being terrified the first week, like, oh my God, some point I'm going to start dating again. And it has never ever, ever been an issue. In fact, it's been the opposite. I don't know because I'm over 40. I can't tell you how many women have been like, thank God. I've just been looking for someone who doesn't drink and didn't need to not drink because that says even more. But also, I know you're not going to have whiskey dick. I know you're not going to get in a drunk argument with me. I know you're not going to crash your car on the way home. And by the way, all three of those things are like standard dating things nowadays. Right. So, Super glad that you're not going to have any of them. I'm <laughs> like, wow, this is a bonus. Right. But then had to deal with people who go, uh, what do you, what do you actually do on a date if you don't drink? I'm like, I smile. I tell stories. I go bowling. I like throw hatchets. I, I don't know. Like I, we I go I, for I, coffee. We yeah, go I for I walks. all kinds of stuff. I hang out in nature. I go for hikes. Like I actually listen to the person I'm talking to. I, yeah, it's crazy. Like, what do you do?
0: Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful thing to recognize that something is possible and to choose it rather than recognize something as possible and not, Mm. you know, I think that we often live in the pain of the regret of the choice that we didn't make that we knew was better for us, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, and I, um, you know, through my own evolution and experience, I realized that for the majority of my life before I was probably 32, um, I would learn things and not change. Like I would have a mistake and I'd know that a better behavior was available to me, mm-hmm. but I would not choose that better behavior. And then I started to recognize that like I made a rule that I would always live at my highest level of knowledge.
1: Mm.
0: But then I couldn't now knowing that rule, then I can't, you know, see um, like I was listening to a book of his and he said in it, um, it's like being a fish in an aquarium and learning there's a notion and trying to go back to the aquarium and pretending yeah. you don't know there's an ocean. Right. And I think that's true that's- of all better behaviors. Yeah. Isn't it? It's like yeah. such a great way of conceptualizing that a choice outside of the roles you pick in your life or the mask you wear, right. you know that there is a life without those things. Yeah. But you still choose to engage in those things. Then you are choosing to participate in agreements that society has created with you. Mm-hmm. That is a role you're taking on. That is not you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so through people breakups heartbreaks things trauma yeah we have completely created who at least we think in this moment is who we are right and what a freeing life that is like you said you got out of there and you said to your friends like what like imagine no judgment yeah what was it imagine no judgment
1: imagine that there. first of all there are no rules that you can do whatever you want because guess what you're still gonna die and that doesn't mean like go, go walk out on your wife and kids and move to Costa Rica. Yeah. But if you want to do something, do it, right? They're, they're, you're not going to be here in 40 years anyway or 50 years anyway, so go do it. Don't judge yourself and ignore societal judgment upon you. Have a good cr- crew of friends, like have a core group of people that are also in the arena that you're in. And if they're telling you that you're out of integrity, you're out of integrity. Mm. And live by that, that you can reframe everything.
0: And keep people around you who tell you when you're full of shit.
1: Yeah. You
0: know, that's the best. It's the best. Dude, I care about you. Yeah. And you're not living at your highest potential.
1: Especially I'm not, I'm not a woman, but I say, especially for men, Mm -hmm. we need that so badly now more than ever. When the challenge of what is the masculine exists and men's lack of integrity is smeared across headlines every morning or it's across any other form of media or it's across just every woman that you know, her history and her biography Mm. right now, more than ever, we need guys to say, Hey, you can do better. And you asked a question earlier that we didn't get to, which was what can people do to get their, their male partners on board for change? And the shittiest answer I have, but it's the only one is they need to hear that from other men. Mm. They need men to call them forward. We need men to call us forward. It's like some, there's part of our brain that I think goes, oh, a dude told me that. I'll do it. And that same part of our brain is like completely dead half the time when a woman tells us or our partner tells us like, hey, you need to do this. We're like, uh, no, don't. Dude says the exact <laughs> same thing. Hey, my buddy just came up with this genius idea, <laughs> right? <laughs> How many times have I, I know a lot of frustrated women that are like, that was my idea six months ago. <laughs> I was like that in my marriage. <laughs> she, I'd be like, hey, guess what? Eric said this great thing today. She's like, yeah, I told you that four months ago. Like,
0: Hmm. You're like, I don't know that you did. I don't...
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: and they're like, no, cause women remember everything. Yeah. <laughs> for centuries. <laughs> so what else from your year of, of, um, bucket listing, what were your greatest takeaways from it? And what were some of the other things you did?
1: Um, you know, hospice, Mark, it was a, a trip and a half right? Like that whole experience of sitting with people who are dying and being with people who were that ill and realizing that, um, how much they just wanted my presence. Like I didn't have to be a professional fighter. I didn't have to be a gym owner. I didn't have to be a guy with a wife. I didn't have to be anybody, but all I had to be was present. And that lesson over and over and over was so reaffirming, especially at a time when I felt like I had nothing to offer the world. I felt like I had nothing to offer anybody. i just gotten my dick kicked in the dirt, right? I was at like ground zero self-esteem, yet could sit across from someone who was at the lowest point of their existence, bedridden, just shit themselves in a diaper. Like this isn't a public hospice in New Mexico. There's not a lot of money. And just having them say, God bless you, for showing up and spending two hours with me today. Like, thank you for, and feeling it. Like, fuck, I just affected this guy's transition out. You know, that whole experience was, um, I'm going to write a book on that whole, on the whole year. But that section was monumental of just the, the honor of being with people at their most vulnerable, literally most vulnerable. And when for most of them, they've been abandoned by society, they don't have family coming to visit. They're just waiting to die. And yet they had stories for me. They would make me laugh. Like they, Those guys, God bless them, um, those guys did more for me than I ever did for them. Mm-hmm. And, I'm, and that's not just cliché. Because yeah. I walked in there a fucking mess. Was that the first thing you did? It was the very first thing. The well, first thing was I had a conversation with the two women, uh, one apologizing and one asking what was the hardest. The, those are powerful
0: experiences. I um, yeah, I never shared an article I wrote. That happens a lot. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> when you write something and then, yeah, I'm like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to ever share this. But I wrote this article called, um, Do You Think About the Hearts You Break? Or mm. You Broke? Mm-hmm. And the idea being like, I'd read this um, or I'd listened to this talk from Carolyn Mace, where she said,
1: there's many people in therapy, right. To yeah. get over you. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: For every person you're taking a personal growth course to get over, someone's taking one to get over you or, yeah. And I, was, I love that, that line stuck with you. You love it. It's so it, true. It's so true. And I started to think like, who have I wronged mm-hmm. that I hurt that could hear from me mm-hmm. and I started to realize that apologies are not doors back open. Apologies are not for, um, they're not for us really, you know, in some sense they are, they're relieving to know that we've come to terms and shame gets, uh, I feel like we alchemize mm-hmm. when we do that. Like it's a solvent mm-hmm. to, to say sorry. And I know for me, it, it created a lot of, um, It created clear spaces between me and previous people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting because over time, I start to collect more people. I think I might have hurt Mm -hmm. and write them. And you don't, you know, you don't get it for a reply that says, "Thank God, I needed this," because that's Mm -hmm. not always what you get. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do it in order to say, like, I just want you to know that you were worthy of more, and I didn't know that then because I, you know, I really wrote to someone not so long ago that I said um i'm sorry that i shared my hurt with you Mm. instead of sharing what you were worthy of Mm. and um i think it's very healing to do that and so i'm so happy to hear that you did that with two past partners and also finding out how you showed up that's just real
1: yeah 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 that was a wild conversation this was someone that i had dated for i'd lived with for five years And then we broke up uh, and I hadn't really, I talked to her on and on. Like we still had a good relationship, Mm -hmm. but man, to sit down and say, I want you to be brutally honest. What was the hardest part about being with me? And then for me to hear almost verbatim words that my ex-wife said. Wow. So you see the pattern. And I was like, okay, fuck. I'm, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck and all the thing, I can't be like, look at all you Why are you guys all calling me a duck? <laughs> so much of it was about not being present. It's, I know it sounds cliche, but like my that woman said, I would sit in a room with you and you wouldn't be in the room with me. I I watched your mind. I watched you like take notes. Cause so I would have like a notebook with me of like business ideas and shit. She like, you just never were fucking there ever. Hmm. I was like, Oh wow. But, 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 or I would say continuously, you know, just give me a couple more months and everything's going to change. Just give me a couple more months and everything's going to change. And it wasn't about like challenges with myself. It was my life situation. It was, I won't work three jobs. I'll be here on weekends. I'll do, I'll be, you know, like I'll be engaged in this relationship. And I had said that to my ex-wife for five years same thing, like just, just you know, next year's going to be different. Next year's going to be different. Next year's going to be different. If you want to hear a, a like, it was the universe watching story. Mark, the night before my ex left, I was journaling. This was early in the year, and maybe early January, and I hadn't written New Year's goals. And since I was, I was like a swimmer at, in second grade. They're like, write your goals down. So for you know, thirty-five years, I've gotten goals written down on paper. Mm -hmm. That year, I remember writing, like, I'm not writing goals this year. I'm not doing anything until I quit drinking, until I quit smoking dope, until I actually find a fucking voice, until I start writing again, until I'm like, have the ability to stand up and speak for what I actually want. No fucking goals. And I closed the notebook and then less than 12 hours later, she's gone. And poof, this whole process starts. You get what you asked for. And I got what I asked for. Wow. I love that.
0: I think that that's such an important, again, Carol. No, I think it is Carolyn Mace. No, it might've been Abraham Hicks. Now that I think about it. Mm -hmm. She said that when you make a request, let's say for a dream relationship, right. Or whatever it is that you request that when bad, what you perceive as bad things happening to you or lessons being learned or stumbling, Mm -hmm it's because if you are paying attention, it is getting all the things you need to learn into place to get the thing that you say you want. Mm. And so when you make something as, as such a high, beautiful conscious goal mm-hmm. of being fully present, being engaged, being mm-hmm. the best version of yourself, it does align everything for you to get there. If you're mm-hmm. listening
1: mm-hmm.
0: and what a beautiful sentiment, um, that you made that request and then, well, as the universe does, it listens. And then, yeah, you know, God or whatever is the, mm-hmm. the thing that people praise and, and call whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so on that note, uh, I'm going to make sure that I share your Ted talks in the show notes. So please, please. Have that, because um, you have two, you have, uh, what is it? One is
1: what, how to make pain, your guru, which I actually did on the year to live project.
0: That's amazing. So we'll make yeah. sure to share that. And what's the other Thank one? You.
1: Um, why we need more uncivilized men.
0: Amazing. Okay. So we'll share both of those and where else can people find you?
1: Uh, You can find, I do most of my work or most of my public work on Instagram, which is at Traver Bohm, T-R-A-V-E-R-B-O-E-H-M. And if people are interested about uh, man uncivilized, the program, they can go to www.manuncivilized.com. And I actually blogged for the year, for the year to live project. Which is on my own personal website, which is just my name, Traver T-R-A-V-E-R B-O-E-H M dot com. And you just find the blogs under uh Year to Live project.
0: Perfect. So we'll make sure we link out your site, your Instagram, all that Thank kind of you. stuff. My friend, man, I know that we need to have another one because we almost went 90 minutes and crushed it. <laughs> We're gonna have plenty on.
1: more to talk about.
0: Yeah, exactly. So thanks so much for being on today, my friend. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you
1: for having me. I truly appreciate it.